Welcome to Lab Sessions. I'm Zach Elliott. I love people, and I get to learn from some of the best. This show gives me a chance to invite you to join me in pursuit of more life and more beauty. Here's to that pursuit and to the conversations ahead. Hey, welcome to Lab Sessions. Thanks for sharing some time with us. Uh, Don't ever take that for granted, everybody who's listening in and just on this pursuit and on this journey to live and to love and to lead with better, with just greater wisdom and compassion. And my guest today is going to help us do that. He's a man who I respect a ton. I I had the chance to sit down with him the other day and I walked away more confident uh, just in the leaders who who are doing incredible, extraordinary things in the world for our country. And he's my next guest is the son of an Air Force father who followed in his dad's footsteps. He graduated from the Air Force Academy uh, before going on to serve as a fighter pilot in the United States Air Force, flying combat missions in F-15s and F-22s. He continues to serve today as a general officer in the Air Force, but more importantly, and more importantly even for this conversation, is he is a husband and a father to three daughters, so I can learn much from you. Um, He's a man of faith and love and integrity who serves his family with a gentleness and a humility that has much to teach all of us. And all of that background, the big background of being a general officer in the Air Force informs the conversation. But today we're really talking as friends and as dads who are learning to love and live and serve well. Derek, the fact that you are even making time for this conversation while you're on vacation in the midst of a significant new adventure just highlights the kind of leader and person you are. But Derek France, thank you for sharing some time with us. I love having you here. Thanks, Zach. I appreciate the intro and, uh, and the time you're spending as well. Well, I did my best to give a quick intro and just highlight, and it's not even fair because of the body of work that is your story in your life, but I tried to highlight some of the incredible parts of your story, and no doubt different aspects stood out to everybody who's listening. I know for some of us, and I can picture you by name, some of these listeners who will be stuck on the image of Top Gun, even though that's a Navy program, when we say fighter pilot... You have to think Top Gun and the movie, we're all anticipating it coming out again. So some of us are stuck there and we stopped listening when we heard Fighter Pilot. And some of us sat back and and really heard those layers, husband, father, combat missions. And when you hear that, some of us, our hearts kind of felt all of those layers and, and we want to pull on those threads. And I think everybody sat up a bit realizing the weight of general officer and just serving the country and serving the country in this cultural moment and what that carries with it. Sometimes when we hear our bio, we go, man, is that really who I am? Are all those pieces really true? <laughs> right. Right off the bat, do you drive home? I wonder even just driving a car is so normal. Do you ever just sit in your car and go, how did I get here? I was just in a jet and now I'm driving home. How did I get here? I, you know, I'm uh... I don't know that I, I sit in my car and wonder that, but uh, but there are times when I, I do have a something that'll trigger trigger some uh, introspect where where I do just think about the the chain of events you know in, in a life that that winds up to a certain set of circumstances and and how you know just just how blessed I am to have those opportunities um, and fortunate I am to to have been influenced by the the people in my life that that uh, that 
that wind me up here uh, in a certain certain spot, and, and I don't know that that would uh, uh, trade anything for that. I do think when you talk about all those the, the layers you talked about about you know applies to anyone or, of a career of your responsibilities that, that you have through your your profession, uh, your responsibilities you have in, in your family and how uh, and your faith and, and all the different groups and areas you belong to. There's there's sometimes tension between those two things, mm. specifically with with time. But but more often than not, there's there's overlap. Mm. And of the of the things I've I've um, you know when you ask how I get here, I think I try and focus on the things that overlap and some of the commonalities that apply across the board. And there's a consistency there um, that uh, that happens. Doesn't mean there's not. A, sometimes disagreement or, or, or conflict that, but there, there's overlap in, in a lot of those things. And, uh, and I think focusing on that, on that, uh, you know, has helped me a good bit. Yeah. Well, I was so grateful for the chance to just sit with you in person. We're still in COVID territory, so that's a rare occasion to even be face-to-face with people anyway. So I got to share time with a human, which was awesome. And with you nonetheless, and as I sat there I think you bring up a really good point of just the complexity of people. And one of the things that was so good for me is right now in our cultural moment, there's a bit of just a heightening mistrust uh, in institutions. There's a lot of fear, a lot of suspicion. And here I was sitting across from you, and I was thinking, you are a general in the Air Force, but you are a person. You're a human. You're a dad. You've got daughters. I've got daughters. And it was just a really, really incredible moment and conversation that it kind of encouraged and inspired me. And that's one of the things I'm just hopeful for in these conversations, that as we listen, we can remember, as you said, that there's complexity to people, no matter what our job is, no matter where we're leading or serving, there's layers to our story. And you have this incredible light and your smile is just bright and beaming and you have this disarming nature about you that makes it pretty easy to forget all of those layers and and some of the military layers because you just seem like a great dad and and this person that is just so genuine and kind and in fact uh, when we were talking I had to keep reminding myself to watch the time I wanted to be sensitive that I wasn't just taking all of your time because you have such a general generous and gentle way about you, and it can be deceptively easygoing. And when I walked away, I thought, is that why you're an amazing fighter pilot? Is that the perfect DNA for somebody who travels near Mach 2, that you're just kind of gentle and easygoing? Or is that like a well-trained, disciplined grace? I have to know, is that nature? Is that nurture? Did they make you into that (laughs) so that you could fly at Mach 2 and seem that cool and just gentle? Or is that just who you are? I, I don't. Uh, you know, this is, that's a tough question to, to look at. You <laughs> that question between uh, nature and nurture. It's it's clearly some some kind of kind of, some kind of combo. I think everyone has a, a baseline personality. Uh, I will say the the lessons that I've pulled from from aviation and, and flying, not unique to me, but to that that profession, is a sense of being able to uh, focus on the most important thing uh, without without losing sight of the bigger picture. And, uh, you know, I have tried over, over my time to, to apply that to, to life, to be able to 
think clearly in you know fairly dynamic and fast moving situations and, and the ability to, to try and slow things down when you can and then make make quick uh, decisions when you have to well you've you embody it that, that those words take on flesh so to speak in your life because as I was sitting there uh, the other day you were even your posture was so relaxed and you had your hands kind of folded in your lap at times and I was sitting there thinking this this person commands technology at near Mach 2 and you just have this gentle way about you and so it's it's amazing and I want to learn from it I want us to get to the leadership levels about how that serves you and that kind of mindset um, both nature and nurture play into your leadership philosophy and, and your work today. But I want to talk um, fighter pilot stuff. Before we get there, was that the dream as a kid? Did, I mean, your dad was in the Air Force. Did you grow up imagining yourself flying fighter pilots? Yeah, pretty much. You know, I mean, <laughs> to answer that in a, in a quick way, I, I did grow up. My dad uh, flew um, most of the assignments that uh, I was growing up. Not, not all of them. There were were desk jobs and, and staff positions and things like that. But I did get a chance to, uh, you know, to, to be around air force bases and, and, um, and, and see all that going on. So that was something that pretty early on was of, of great interest to me. When you were young and then enlisted in the air force, you went to the air force Academy just to kind of help us locate on the on the vocational journey, how old were you when you first flew a fighter jet for the first time? Uh, a fighter jet was after the Air Force Academy. So, you know, I went to the Academy af, af, right after high school. So I was 17, actually, almost 18 when I, when I signed in. And it's a four-year college. And then you go to pilot training, which lasts about a year after that. And so... You know, I was I was basically twenty two, twenty three, but before I flew a, a fighter jet, in, or a, it, it was really a trainer jet, but a jet, jet aircraft in uh, in pilot training there. Well, I would be fired if we didn't indulge a few minutes here to talk about flying. So, what is your favorite jet to fly? What's the jet that, if you had your choice, you would say, "Give it to me. I would fly it all day long." And then the follow up is. What's the moment today that when you're flying that jet makes your heart race, even after all these years? I mean, you think back to flying that first trainer jet, but you say, uh-huh. no, but today, if when this happens, it, it never gets old. Right. And uh, I know you're going to ask me that question between the two. <laughs> I've, I've, I've flown two, and I flew the F-15C for a lot of years, of uh, about 1,800 hours in, in that aircraft, and, and about 700 in the F-22. And they're, they're different, but very similar. So, you know, I, I would say on the F-22 side, it can do things that, that basically are unmatched by other airplanes as far as maneuverability and, and speeds and altitudes and, and, uh, and, and whatnot. Uh, but the F-15 is your, you know, your, your first, uh, your first love, if you will, when, when it comes to that with, uh, with that. So I'm going to dodge your answer to your question completely <laughs> with, with those two, if that's fair enough. Yeah. I will say regardless of the airframe, uh, the thing that all, has always jumped out at me, and this is from, you know, flying early Cessna trainers or, or, or anything is, you know, the transition from sitting still on a runway and that, you know, short amount of time of the acceleration to, to get up to speed 
uh, and then rapidly uh, having your vision change as you see, you know, the earth uh, below you and just that, that sense of vision that, that you don't have sitting on the ground where you can see, you know, maybe a mile across the horizon and, and, and not much else to be able to get up to altitude quickly, uh, especially in a, in a fighter style uh, jet. Uh, to, to see, you know, where you're at the point where you see, I, I can see hundreds of miles on a clear day. Uh, and then that, that sense of speed of things being very, very, you know, uh, two dimensional to go to three dimensional. And then also that sense of going from, uh, that just sense of being still to accelerating and things moving that much faster. How long does it take to get from the ground to where you're stopped? You are, you are waiting on the runway to where you are at altitude, it, what's the what's the amount of time that it takes you to make that jump? It is again in a fighter, it's quicker than what you've experienced in a in a civilian airliner, where it takes you know ten fifteen minutes to get up to altitude. It can be as fast as you know within a minute or two. Um, it takes a lot of fuel to do that, um, so we don't typically go quite that fast. But uh, depending on on what you're doing and how fast you need to need to get up there. It can move within within a minute or two. That's absolutely incredible to think about going from stopped to altitude in a minute or more. That that's incredible. We are down here in Tampa. I'm still here in Tampa, and occasionally over McDill, you'll see jets doing different things. And I don't know if it's Raptors. I don't I don't know all the names for the jets, but. There are some extraordinary things that we see pilots doing just as we're driving home from work um, and watching pilots doing what they do. What's the difference? Give us some of the distinctions just between the F-22 and the F-15 because it seems like aviation has evolved incredibly. I mean, F-15 is an incredible um, tool, but the Mm F-22, how's it different from the F-15? There's, in a lot of ways, they're pretty similar. I mean, they're both similar size. They both have two engines. They're a single seat fighter, and so in a in a similar mission, the F twenty two. The difference is the, the sensors that it has are are more advanced. It has some advantages in altitude and and speed. I, I will say that the the inside of it looks vastly different. So an F fifteen has a lot of you know, round dials with, with needles that physically move. And the F-22 is, is a series of, of glass screens with projected, uh, you know, replicas of those, of those dials. And so one of the challenges in transitioning between the two was just to break some of those habit patterns that you developed over, you know, 14 years of flying the, the F-15C and then transitioning into muscle memory and habit patterns that, that you would have in the in the F twenty two because where your eyes go to get information and where your hands go is different. It would be like getting a new car and realizing that uh, you know the seats on the other side and the windshield wiper switch mm-hmm. now controls the horn and now the you know your your uh, blinker now is the gas pedal and a few other things that are kind of critical uh, to to do that. And you'd be amazed at. And if you think about it, you hop in a car and, and you don't have to think about turning the ignition. You don't have to think about where your hand goes to the the um, uh, the stick shift to, to move it. But but that's all just muscle memory. And so to erase that and start over is one of the one of the challenges in, in transition uh, between the two. Yeah. 
Well, there's so much. I mean, you talked about just 1,800 hours, I think you said, in the F-15, and all of the all of the experience um, flying, we could spend all day uh, letting me ask you fighter jet questions, and I don't think anybody would get bored because that's just cool. But I want to talk leadership, uh, if we can. And before we dive into it, I think it's important for everybody who's listening to understand, again, those layers. Um, you're talking to a fighter pilot, you're hearing from somebody who's a senior leader and also a dad and a husband. So all of those things combined to tell the story. Give us a just a high-level look at the scope of operations that you're going to be tasked with uh, in this new adventure that you're heading off to um, so that we can kind of get a, that layer, the leadership layer, before we dive in. Sure. It is uh, an assignment in, in Germany at the Air Force uh, headquarters there that controls all of the the Air Force wings that are out in, in Germany. Uh, and the position I, I will move into is the director of, of operations, which means it's, it, it controls all the, the near-term operations and the current operations that happen across the, the, the wings across, uh, across Europe and, and partners with, uh, with uh, our, uh, our allies in some cases in there when we do exercises and, and, uh, and things like that. I think it's so important to hear that broad level of looking at all of these operations in a region of the world, because I I hear that really high-level leadership. And the other day when we were talking about leadership, I've got things in my mind as I hear and imagine that title and that role. But at the end of the day, you said it always comes down to people. When you talk leadership, it always comes down to people. Say more about that and how that philosophy shapes you as you prepare to get your arms around that really broad regional uh, level leadership. Right. I guess what I mean by that is that, that, that our people are the ones that make that happen. And it's so easy to lose sight of that, you know, especially, you know, in a military or even even an Air Force uh, culture, we tend to get enamored by technology. Mm. And the military loves their processes and our wire diagrams and our organizations. And, and we tend to gravitate towards those. And we don't always think through that we have to have people that can execute all that. And that you cannot remove the human element from from warfare or from life in general. And the minute we do that, then we lose something. And uh, you see it in in life with with social media and and uh, and people trying to you know represent themselves or see other people through a catch-all meme uh, or the perfect post um, or the perfect photo and the perfect saying for the perfect photo uh, and and not realizing that 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 won't capture the the person that may capture the image or the image we want to portray but in leading organizations and it's and it's tougher the larger the organization you have because you know as a when I was a wing commander you know, with several thousand people uh, under my command, I couldn't possibly know all of them or influence all of them. I had to think about the subordinate commanders and trust that they were doing the, the same. And then when I could make individual connections, but it's, but it's all about the people and building trust and confidence in, in the organization. Um, the second thing that the organization has to do with its people is be, systematic and intentional on investing in them 
um, you know, we expect people to, to serve, a, whether it's a military unit or a service or an organization. And if the, the, the counterpart of that isn't true, where the organization isn't investing in them, that only lasts so long. Mm. And so being, you know, consistent in that, in investing in our, in our people. And when I say investing, you know, I'm not talking about a program or a school. I'm talking about one-on-one analog leadership Hmm. connections between you know a, a supervisor and employee a commander and a subordinate um and on down the on down the line i love that you're that that's at the core of your philosophy that it it's always about people i think just the last few days and weeks is that there's been a lot of disruption in america and lots of discussions about how do we do these really difficult jobs and how do how are they going to be done and for us, whether we're in a church, whether we're leading a police department, whether we're, you know, helping at a hospital, to you said analog leadership and really getting down to the one-on-one. Unpack analog leadership just really quickly because I loved what I loved the term and just the picture that you just gave us a snapshot of. Yeah, and I'm not sure where I heard that first. It's not something that, that I made up, but just contrasted with with digital leadership. You know that 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 somehow we can be more efficient and, and reach more people by using either technology or email uh, or some other kind of silver bullet where I'm really connecting with people. But in fact, maybe we're not connecting with anybody. Um, and a true connection takes a, a conversation and takes to set apart some time and invest some time little bits at a time you know the military we we ask a ton of our people um and uh and large organizations that uh, do as well but to say that i'm going to ask a military person to 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 leave his family for a year plus or to sacrifice uh certain things or to miss key events and not have invested in that person there's a mismatch there that that, uh, that only lasts so long yeah well, for everybody who's listening, who does, it doesn't matter if you're leading a family again, or if you're in a school, you're in an education or government context, listen to what Derek just said. And the takeaway that I wrote down in my notes is just margin, that it costs time. You, it, We say it's only true if it's true. You have to create space in order to be with people. And if you've been in an organization that tries to skip that step, you know what that feels like. And sometimes as leaders, we forget and we start moving quickly or even in this post-COVID landscape, technology has become the, the, the focal point. And so as we start to open back up, just take that away. I think it's brilliant advice, really important and timely advice that it's people and it's time with people, it's conversations with people. And you got to build that in. It takes margin. As I think about the the strategy and the budget and the policy and policy making that you will be involved in, no doubt, um, I, my mind continued again to just lift off the ground, and I started to think, "Good grief! This this job that you're taking on is going to have this huge and high level view." Uh, oh, and and you're going to spend all of your time kind of looking at a whiteboard, imagining the future is what pops into my mind. But you surprised me when we were talking about how you approach um, your job, and you brought out a proverb that helps you approach your work. And I wondered if you could say a little bit more about Proverbs sixteen three 
and why that perspective might be helpful for other leaders who who are listening and they're you're you know they've got to find that balance between uh, strategy and vision and planning but then also walking towards those. So help us with Proverbs 16.3. It surprised me, and I would love it if you could say a little bit more about it. Sure. Um, it's that one, and I'll pair it with, with another one, because I think they, they go together, although they're not sequential in order. And, and for whatever reason, you know, years ago, those, those two jumped out of me. But uh, 16.3 and 19.21 are two that, that uh, I have found helpful to me when, when trying to think about the future and think about the direction my life is going and, and making decisions, whether it's family decisions or career decisions. Uh, and 16.3 basically says that when you, you dedicate your actions to the Lord, that your plans will succeed. Um, and then 19.21 says that we can make many plans, but God's purposes per- will prevail. And so there's this connection with dedicating actions and then God's purposes and our plans are in the middle. And so the lesson has always been for me that I can't get married to my plans because that's not the, that's not the start of things, nor is it the end state of things. It's just the avenue between my actions. In other words, the things that I do day to day, the things I'm intentional about, the things I'm consistent about, um, and those actions going through my plans and then eventually resulting in, in God's purposes. So, while we tend to focus on what our plans for the future are, and you know, I've got a new college graduate and what her plans are, and, and uh, I think about you know all these things. The the most important thing I can do is just dedicate my day to day intentional actions uh, and trust a little bit, throw some trust in there that uh, that at the end of the at the end of the day, those plans will prevail and God's purposes will will, will prevail. And it just takes a lot of pressure off, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> Well, it's but it's Jedi-like in its wisdom. And when you said it the other day, it was like when you're sparring back and forth and somebody um, throws something new in there that just kind of lands. That one landed because, again, I can drift so far into vision and into plans and even thinking theologically, well, I'm going to dedicate my plans to the Lord and I'm going to ask Him to keep my plans consistent with His plans. And it's all at that level. And when you said, commit your actions dedicate your actions to the Lord, it, it landed. And it, all of a sudden, I was like, this is so consistent with being present and focusing on what's true and being present mm-hmm. with your kids, doing simple things well. All these lessons that I've heard, and I know the power of them, but it, you quickly, you, I at least can so quickly move into this other sphere. How have you learned to stay present and, and just stay in that place, doing simple things well, giving your full attention where it's needed, dedicating your actions. And I'm thinking about, you know, that philosophy being true as you walk around this jet even to fly. And there's, I mean, there's layers of things you're thinking about. There's the mission, and it's a combat mission, and your family's involved, and, and you as a person. And there's these huge, complex, even philosophical things. How do you stay present just dedicating and and keeping your mind focused on the thing that's right in front of you. How have you learned to to develop that or mature that part of you? I think that that part of it is, and, and this is one one of the things that 
that they teach you, you know, very early on in, in any pilot training course is that there is a, a, a sense of, um, of compartmentalization where you go out to the aircraft and you go through kind of a, a routine uh, or um, a set of standards or a set of habits that starts from the moment we start a brief and we do a time hack. It gets everyone on the same routine, uh, the same baseline for the set of timing. Uh, everyone walks out the door and understands the, the plan. Uh, and then when you are uh, checking out your your life support gear, your helmet and your harness and parachute and all that, you know, there's certain things that you check. And it's not so much that it's I don't trust the technician that's prepared all those things, or I don't trust the crew chief at the at the aircraft that there's you know something wrong with the airplane. But part of it is just to get into that habitual mindset and understand that those intentional actions uh, built up over time lead to uh, success. Um, and uh, you know the same the the same is is true that again when I when I step out and, and greet a, a crew chief. Um, there's a level of trust with, with that individual, but I would still walk around the airplane and look at a few things, knowing that, that he or she has done all that, uh, and, the, and the jet is ready to go. Uh, but part of that is just a, a mentality of, of being intentional and being consistent. Um, and, you know, the other piece of that, whether it's life or whether it's, it's uh, around a, an airplane, is the ability to fend off distractions. Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many things in life that can inject themselves as distractions. And if we're not in a routine or a, a, a focused kind of state of mind, or being intentional and thinking about those, it's easy to get distracted by that, you know, and, 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 and next thing you know, your routine is broken. And, uh, you know, in, in aviation, that can be disastrous. Uh, and in life, it could be disastrous. And so that, that's just one of the things when I talked about overlapping areas between uh, flying and life that that to me is a is a key one yeah well you mentioned social media earlier and technology and i remember growing up that when when our my dad left for the day we would say goodbye to him and then you didn't see him he didn't have access to dad and he he worked as a he worked at a desk in the department of transportation but he was gone and you didn't have access to him you couldn't text him you couldn't message uh-huh. him on facebook there was no his, he was fully present at work and there can be some downsides to that there's some beauty in having a work life balance that's more integrated but I think that you are, th- that, that word compartmentalization might scare some people because they go, no, I want to live in a really balanced and integrated way in all of the spheres of my life. But I think what the invitation is, is to be radically present, committing your actions to the Lord, whatever I've, whatever's in front of me, I'm going to give myself to that and allow myself to be present. We say that, but instantly pick up our phone and check Instagram uh, we're distracted. Uh-huh. We look at our email, and it just the cost of that. I don't know if we fully understand the cost of that because we can be sloppy when you're flying a jet. You can't be sloppy, so you that, right. that there is no room for Instagram. <laughs> you, you can't do right, that. Right. Yeah. So maybe you have an advantage, but I want to learn from that because you are present and you do have to compartmentalize that even the thoughts about family and philosophy, those things are there, but they need to wait because I can't even have that conversation if my plane crashes. So I have to focus right now 
And right. yeah, I think that can speak to to all of us. How do you build a culture just as a leader who knows that that has to be true uh, with the the teams and the the pilots and the crew chiefs? How do you build a culture that that affirms and recognizes the power of being present in those little things? I, I think w- one of the things is is to have a, a a set of standards that everyone understands and to enforce those just as a as a matter of of professional pride in in the organization um and you know in the case of a of a, of a family just to just to have everyone on the on the same sheet of understanding what what the expectations are and uh and enforcing them when when they're when they're not met or debriefing them i mean the most powerful thing that that a fighter pilot does well it's not the 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 most the, the thing we talked about earlier about get your heart <laughs> racing is the debrief um and stepping through and, and talk about everything that went right or wrong in a flight and debrief it so that we're always getting better and, and always approving and doing it in a way that's that's respectful but is pointed and upfront when it needs to be um because lives are on the line and because uh, the mission's on the line and uh you know respect for the individual that makes an error and and uh um, but at the same time, and owning up to your own, which there are plenty, uh, that, uh, that, that we get better. And that just feeds that sense of, of pride, which feeds a, a desire to, to enforce those, uh, those standards. And, and so that, that is one of the, one of the more powerful things of, of the aviation world is that, and especially in the fighter pilot, uh, is a, is a debrief culture. Yeah. Has that have you brought that culture home? And not that they're like good grief, dad's home. We're going to debrief the day. But <laughs> right. I'm thinking, just for all of us who are listening, who have families, that that open flow of communication to debrief a day and to ask our kids, like you know, let's check back in, you know, regularly, maybe weekly, maybe at dinner time. Have you? somehow found a way to integrate that level of open communication flow at home. And this is a super indulgent, selfish question because I have three daughters and I'm, I'm wanting them to, to get to the point where we are thinking about colleges and plans and, and getting there. They're still young. But how have you brought some of those powerful lessons from your teams at work into your home environment and and what advice would you give to us as parents who are listening uh, to create that kind of conversation that kind of flow in a healthy culture at home it is i would say much more challenging at home than maybe it is in a in a organization um because you've got um you know years of of uh of things that are involved there and you're and you know you're dealing with the uh, generational differences that don't see things exactly the same. Um, I would say the, the biggest thing is to, from my perspective, and, and, and believe me, Zach, I'm not saying this because uh, I've done it uh, perfect or, or even well at times, but, but just the conversation um, and, uh, and being as honest and open, you know, as a parent, the times I think I've connected with my daughters is when I've opened up to shortcomings uh of my own you know hey when i was 16 you know here's here's what i thought and i was way wrong or here's some of the things that that i did and and i get it um and being able to uh, uh to do that and then you know that conversation flows into in a in a if, it, if it's healthy something that where you can express 
your ideas, your thoughts, your emotions, and you don't get crushed right away. You know, it is something that, that uh, is respectfully listened to. And so that's, to, to me, that's something we've, we've tried to do. And some, some days we do well at it and some days we don't, um, you know, to be blunt. Yeah. Well, I just think such a great reminder of the power of, you know, again, we, you say make investment in people because people are how we're going to, how our missions are going to succeed when there's people who are being invested Mm -hmm. in. And the most important, you know, we just, we're downstream from Father's Day, so it's an easy parlay, but that's our most important work. Uh, to take these mm-hmm. lessons that the Air Force Academy has reinforced, years of experience is reinforced. We know this is how it has to be done. And like you said, the most challenging environment to see those things true are in the home. And so giving attention to that is is important. I want to ask about, you know, as we talk about creating this culture of trust, you gave me this just beautiful picture of a moment um, between the pilot and the crew chief and and how you were intentional at, at even just creating opportunities to build trust. I wondered if you could take us back to that story of just sure. as an example of a way to say, hey, and maybe this can parlay for somebody can extrapolate out and think about yourself as a dad with your child, with your daughter or your son. But listen to this story about the pilot and the crew chief and just the power of building trust. Right. Um, so when you head out to a jet to, to fly it. The first thing you do is, is check out your gear, go to the airplane. You'll look through what they call the, the forms. It's basically all the, the documentation of the, the maintenance that's been done on, on the aircraft. The crew chief and his supervisor has, uh, has signed it off. And uh, as the, the aircraft commander or the pilot, you sign it off as well. You walk around the aircraft, you're looking at, uh, at you know, a few things, but you're not opening up every panel or, or you know, turning any wrenches or doing any maintenance. And then uh, when it's about time to start, you climb in the, in the cockpit and you check all the switches in the cockpit. And something that someone taught me to do years ago when I was a lieutenant first started flying was to say, hey, when you buckle in and you connect a lap bell and your survival kit harnesses and your oxygen and comm cords and, and, and all those other connections, there's at least a dozen of them, um, you also connect the... Uh, the harness, which goes across your shoulders, connects into the seat. In most jet fighters, the parachute is actually inside the seat. So you wear a harness, you connect into these these clasps, and that, that way, if you needed to eject, the entire seat ejects, and the parachute comes out of the seat, and you separate from the sheet, seat. And so what someone told me was that a technique which builds trust is to, when you strap in, to while well, you can do your lap belts and all that to let the crew chief buckle one of the harnesses. And so I could reach around and, and grab it and do it myself. And if I had to, I would, uh, but there's a sense of trust when you hold the one end open, the crew chief plugs in the other thing and he gives it a tug And that simple three second interaction says this jet is good to go. You're going to come back. And the conversation between me and him is I trust you completely with this parachute, which could save my life. And, uh, and that extends just to that individual. It extends to the whole flight line. It extends to the, uh, our life support back shop that packs the parachutes and, and gets all of that, that gear ready. Uh, and I've used that quite a bit. And there's, there's a bond that happens in those few seconds uh, that, that is, uh, is, is, is pretty awesome. 
it, it's awesome at the level that when you even communicate the story, it, it we can feel it. Like emotionally, I can feel the weight of, of surrendering that level of control and inviting somebody to participate. And you use the word bond, but it creates this bond. And when I when we were talking the other day, it was it was one of the notes that I circled, and I just said, as I serve as a parent and and try to lead in all of the layers that God's given me to lead, I don't ever want to forget that. And in fact, I want to look for opportunities to do just that. Where yeah, I can buckle it myself, but this is a, a strategic opportunity for me to build trust. And I just think good for us as as we're listening to just ask the question, what are those opportunities? I wonder what are the the harness connections in my own world that I can release a little bit of control, be intentional, and maybe create a bond with somebody that can start to disseminate through the whole organization. I think it's it's good. What are some of the other things that you have done in that lane? I think as we as we think about building trust across an organization, across a whole team, and creating a culture that really is empowered to have ownership and pride, as you said, in the mission, but also understands their role in their lane, I wonder mm-hmm. if there's a couple other things just you could coach us on to say, hey, I've, the harness lesson is a brilliant lesson. That one will preach, so to speak, for years to come. But what are some other things that you think are, are just important for us to think about as leaders as we think about creating a culture where people feel like they have ownership and they're empowered to speak up, but they also know that balance and understand that there's, there's a timing to speaking up and there's the realities of the mission that have to be honored um, how do you how do you balance all of those layers out? Yeah, I think the um, and we talked a little bit about this the other day. You know, there's there's a sense of when when things are moving quickly that we don't always have time to sit down and and discuss it. You know, as a as a young wingman in a, a flight of two or a flight of four, you know, there is the there's the somewhat common phrase, although I've never heard specifically briefed is, is, you know, the only thing I want to hear to you is two, meaning a check-in when when you're checked in on the radio and then let me know if I'm on fire, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so that's probably an extreme end of that because there are time elements that just don't allow for a lot of discussion and the flight lead is the flight lead. Mm -hmm. And and oh, by the way, if I'm a, you know, if I'm a general officer flying and my flight lead is a lieutenant or a captain, for that time we're airborne, he is a flight lead. And so... I'm going to do what he says, unless, uh, you know, it's going to get us killed. Uh, it's going to, uh, have some safety issue or safety of flight issue that, uh, that, that maybe he clearly doesn't see. And I think the, the same thing would apply across, you know, the workplace or, or family that, that, you know, we have designated roles and responsibilities. And while it's important to let, uh, those individuals take that role and, uh, and follow when we need to follow, we do have the responsibility to, to, to speak up um, and to ask questions. And so it is a balance of timing. It's a balance of making sure that when those questions are asked, like when my daughter has something that, that uh, you know, she wants to push back on a little bit, that we do it at the right time and that I'm respectful enough to listen to it and at least hear her out without shutting off. I mean, we talk about the importance of communication. If it's shut off immediately, that that may be the last that may be the last uh, you know um, bit of conversation that happens, and it, it may translate into into other things. 
I'm so glad you brought up the immediate shutoff. I literally have that written in my journal from the other day, and I circled it. You know, just pay attention to the immediate shutoffs. And that's easy uh, at a parent level, but thinking about in the work in the workplace, I wonder what are the things that we do. They say, nine, you know, communication is what, 80% uh, nonverbal or 90% mm-hmm. nonverbal. And, you know, you think about what are the ways that we are communicating an immediate shutoff when somebody has a question. And, yes, there's not always time to debate, but we want to create a culture where people feel empowered to say, hey, I want to ask you something. And you said something brilliant the other day about creating this culture of not immediately shutting people off, that it, you can just simply say it's not now. You know, I would love to talk to you more about that. And and right. let's talk about that down downstream a little bit. That's, I think, hopefully becoming more and more a part of the conversation, again, as we look at our culture, empowering people to speak up when they see something mm-hmm. that's not right, when they see something yep. that's unethical, that when they see something that is dangerous, and we have the ability on our team to say, I know when to follow and I know when to lead. And that's something that we're disciplining in, we're building in, not just to our own lives, but to our kids, to our teams. It's just important, important, important. Yep. Tell, let's shift gears just a little bit and talk about faith, because again, these are this is a part of your story and layers to uh, who you are as a leader. How has faith um, shaped your leadership philosophy? And then, I guess maybe a follow up to that is, in your experience, how do you how do you navigate that in um, in a organization in a culture like the Air Force, where there are certain places where um, you, your faith, you have to honor your mission and you have to be true and honor your, your faith and your integrity to what you believe. So two questions there, how has faith shaped your leadership? And then what has been your experience as a man of faith leading in a, in an air force culture? Yeah, I think the, you know, faith impact on, on, uh, you know, uh, a profession or a, or a career is something that uh that you know there's that that i can't ever say get so enamored with my own career or progression um that that if that gets lopsided and i I lose sight of the main thing which needs to be my faith my family but if the if the rest of it falls along and and i can bring that all together and find those areas of overlap then that is then that is you know where I want to be both as a, as a leader in, in the military and as a husband and father and, and, and uh, you know, as a man of God. Um, and if I start focusing on areas that, that don't overlap, um, then I need to change something. Um, and, and so that's, that's how I see, cause you know, there's a, there's a tension at times with any area in our life um, that uh, when we're in the seams and, and they don't line up, uh, but to live in the areas of, of overlap is uh, is where I, I think that impacts it there. Um, and then the, um, uh, I'm sorry, what was the second part? Yeah, I was just curious how, what your experience has been as a oh, okay. leader in the Air Force. Have you felt yeah. like, man, 99.9% of the time I can have this really servant leader perspective. Again, I go back to your gentleness and your generosity. I look at you and I go, man... You are commanding, literally, 
troops and forces and movements, those things are coming from your leadership, but it's done in such a gentle way and, and, you know, biblically speaking, this meek and mild way. And it seems like you've been able to preserve that in your DNA and that that hasn't had to be kind of shaped out of you by being in the Air Force. So I'm just curious how your experience as that kind of leader shaped by your faith integrates into the Air Force. Do you find tension or friction or is it, are you able to lead like that really freely? There, you know, occasionally there's tension. I think for the most part, uh, you know, that, that there, the things that, that line up uh, with my faith as far as, you know, connecting with individuals and, and with people um, lines up with, with leadership for, for the most part, you know, and uh, occasionally everyone has different leadership styles and, and, you know, some are, are, uh, are, you know, much more of, of, uh, of focused on, again, technology or processes or, or substituting something else for, for people. And I, I've, found that those resonate uh, much less with me and resonate much less with just kind of my worldview on, on, on how we're to, to interact as, as people. Um, you know, so there's, there's that. I don't think as far as, you know, being in the workplace and, and feeling as if I'm under a microscope, I've, I've never felt that. Um, I felt like just in, in my own faith life that, that my actions ought to be a, an indicator um, in just the way I, I carry myself as a, as a representative of my faith is something that I've, I've strived to do. And again, I, believe me, I don't get it always, I don't always get it right. You know, if, if you should listen, play this podcast for, uh, for, you know, <laughs> people throughout my career, there's probably more than a handful of them go, what, who is this guy? Uh, so we don't always get it right, but that's, that's my, you know, that's where I, I desire to be and, and to try and, and line those things up. Yeah. Well, one of the things I appreciate you about you so much is there is this idea that, you know, kind of faith in leadership has these certain markers and we grow up and we read these leadership books and these Christian leadership books and we try to integrate and make sense. Well, you know, what does that mean? Do I put something on my wall? Do I, you know, have to speak out on this or speak out on that? And, and I want to just set those things aside and say what I see in you that is, is beautiful and I hope we can learn from it. I hope other, we see this popping up in leadership everywhere is exactly what you said. The philosophy, it's always about people. And at the core of our faith, the core of the Christian faith, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and do good. You know, I just heard from another friend the other day, do good, you know, to, to the person in front of you when it's within your power to help, help. And Jesus had this incredible way about him that was caring for people. And it's not, there's no contradiction. If you, if you live that out in an incarnational way, in whatever context, people are going to be lifted up and there's going to be, and when we talk about the fruit of the spirit, but your life embodies your faith. And that naturally means good things for people and the people in your teams. And it means lifting people up, building trust, caring for people, investing in them. That's mm-hmm. what we mean when we say we need people who are, leading with their faith um, fully expressed. So you're doing it really, really well. And it's that incarnational piece is the most important thing. And so, yeah, thank you for that. 
Let's talk, can we talk marriage just for a bit? Sure. Again, this one's sure. a little bit indulgent just because I'm married and I haven't been married as long as you have. You've been married almost 23 years, I think you said. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Just help us out. Your marriage is flourishing, your family is flourishing, and they're doing well. What have you learned through the years? Just coach us again about marriage as you think back to all your lessons learned over the years of deployments and complexity and all the tough times. When you sit in the seat today on vacation with your family and you go, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to this guy, you know, 15 years into marriage. Talk to us just as somebody who's been married 22, 23 years. Um, what have you learned uh, to help us contribute to our marriages? I think the, the biggest thing, and, and this sounds, you know, this isn't rocket science or and it may sound trite, but, but just lines of communication. And I think that, uh, you know, some things that, that I have learned on, you know, deployments that when you're, when you are gone for a year and you're relying on, you know, back in earlier times, very spotty internet, uh, to, uh, to, um, you know, to connect or, a uh, um, or a phone booth that uh, that everyone took a turn at in a in a tent city somewhere. That um, those bits of communication are precious, mm-hmm. and um, we always found that that after a deployment, it took a little while to kind of be able to to talk to each other and to interact with it, with each other again. And in at the end of the day, in a lot of ways, that was fairly rewarding because it taught us about um, about the ways that we really do that and some of the things that, uh, that we miss out on when, when we're not able to, to communicate and, and spend time together. And so, you know, that, that time piece is, is important. And I think of, you know, families raising young kids, which are, you know, so time demanding, uh, or dual careers, which are, can, can again be, be so time demanding that, uh, that, that I fear and, and the times that, that we have uh, have struggled or have had bumps in the road in our marriage are just times where, where that investment of time has not been there. And interestingly, it hadn't always been the deployments because mm-hmm. on a deployment, you value your time so much and, and you look forward to, hey, well, you know, I come home in, in you know, uh, uh, six months and or, I, you know, I, I can can, can be back or we're going to, you know, I'm going to see you at a, at a mid tour leave, um, and valuing those and looking forward to those that we miss out on, on some of the, uh, some of the others. Yeah. Time is precious and we, we only have a short amount of it really when we think about the amount of time that we get to share with each other. And I, th- I think that's, I don't know, it's, it's, I love what you said. It's easier on a deployment sometimes because when we're back home, we just take it for granted. And I hope mm-hmm. that we don't. I hope everybody who's listening heard that, just that little subtle piece that when your you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, maybe when you're on a deployment, it brings into sharp relief the value of communication, the value of time. And so if we can learn to live like that when we have the margin, when we can say with total freedom, hey, let's take a half hour walk after dinner, Let's sit down and debrief our day. Let's have dinner and create open communication. These are just these are good reminders for me and for everybody who's listening. When you, you're about to take your family on this huge adventure and lots of change, 
And so many of us are there. We're just faced with change. We're parents. We're we're family members who everything's been disrupted. We're trying to find a new orientation, and this has been kind of a, a the cycle of your career moves and transitions. What have you learned um, is most important as you help your kids, especially uh, kind of shepherd them through transition. Well, what have you learned about? You know, you're coming up on a move. You're having to make a big decision. You're carrying your family, you're, you and your wife are walking through these big times of change. What has been most helpful um, in helping your kids make those transitions well? Um, well, I, you know, I think that uh, to, to start off with, I am, uh, you know, just extremely proud of my kids over the years and, and how well they have done, you know, regardless of, of, of the mistakes and other things that, that I have made. Uh, our youngest is about to move. Um, She'll be going into 11th grade uh, next year, and I think she's moved. I've kind of lost track. It's either nine or ten times. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe not as be her ninth, ninth move. But um, in some ways, it it, uh, it it tears your heart out. This past week, she's been you know seeing some of her friends, and it's been been limited just based on on COVID and whatnot. But uh, has really tried to make an effort and be intentional about about seeing them. I actually had a dinner for her the other night, and, and all this really you know tight knit, uh, the magnificent seven, I call them. There's like a group of seven of them. They all wow. played the cross and ended all that. But then, you know, she's going to, going to, uh, move. And, um, you know, I'm sure she will certainly in one of the advantages of technology, she'll keep in, in touch with them. Uh, but there's this whole new, uh, set of friends that she doesn't know yet. Uh, and, and people that she will meet and, and experience in, in Germany were, were moving. And, uh, and it was the same way coming here, you know. And so she is a very social person uh, with just a, a huge heart and, and, you know, really open to she, – she, friend, people tend to gravitate towards her, uh, which is a, a blessing when you first show up and you're the new kid, um, but it's also tough when, when you leave. Uh, but her attitude of this is, is it's the next adventure, you know, let's go. That, that, that's all we've, we've known or all she's known. And she really looks at the, as the positive of, of things. I think having the three of them are our three daughters and the older out of the house, which is tough on the youngest is they, they have grown up, I think maybe tighter than, than they might have had we not moved around so much. You know, you move, you move in the summertime and it's just the three of them until school starts. Wow. And, uh, again, they're, they're at each other's throat part of the time, but, uh, but in general, <laughs> they're, they're really tight because of that. And, uh, and still are, I mean, my, my, uh, my hope is that, uh, uh, and my prayers that, you know, that that'll, that'll continue through their, through their adult life. Yeah. I love the idea that just the, we talk about post-traumatic, uh, stress, or versus post-traumatic growth. And, you know, there's a, a whole philosophy on both sides of that. But just the the lens, the the attitude towards change that says, this is what our family does. And yes, it's mm-hmm. hard. And being honest about the fact that it's hard, being in conversation about the hard things. But I hear you saying, there's also opportunity to grow. And we can yeah. see some things that are true about our kids. And I know there's a couple families listening that are wrestling, you know, mom and dad up at night going, is this the right decision? Are our kids going to make it? And I just heard you say that your youngest has been through what, nine transitions and she's, yeah, I didn't think through it, but she's, she's, uh, it's it's either eight or nine, somewhere in there. I want to say nine. Yeah. So it's possible as you know, it's possible if your faith is there and your, there's love in the home communication, 
all these things that are true, you can flourish even in, in, in the midst of that incredible pace of change. That's a beautiful yeah. thing. And I'm sorry, it's starting to rain here. I'm going to try and step inside. Can you hear that rain too much? Oh, yeah. Rain is good. Okay. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's the advantages of doing calls now. We get to be in different climates even as we talk. So as long as you're not getting rained on, I need to... I don't no, I'm, standing I, I was up. I was out my back porch, so I'm just going to step inside because it's getting kind of loud. What's amazing is it would not surprise me. You're the kind of, you just strike me as the kind of generous and faithful, loyal person who would literally stand in the rain to finish the call. (laughs) That's where I have to remind you, like, at your rank, you can just hang up and we can just stop. But I I do want to watch out for your time, but I have to ask um, because as we look at at developing leaders and bringing people in and being intentional about reaching down and and having a pipeline of future leaders, what are you looking for in future leaders? The people that you want to tap, you want to be strategic to start giving them more opportunity. Who are you looking for uh, when you look for people uh, within the organization to start to, to move towards greater and greater leadership? I think, you know, the more and more time I spend, and, and this is just has be, kind of become the, the theme of our talk, is is the individual that, that can relate to people um, where they are. And while, you know, I certainly look for competence uh, in in their profession, whatever that is, uh, their, their organizational skills, their, their, you know, all of those things, you can tell a lot about a person by watching them interact with other people a little bit. And you know, that, that's, that's tough to do to kind of be on the fly on the wall because you're not always around. And, and when you're, when you're interviewing somebody, you know, all they do is interact with you, you know, but, but, but that's not always the, the true measure, you know, in a perfect interview, I would sit back and just kind of spend 30 minutes, you know, following someone around and see how he interacts or she interacts with, 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 with people in somewhat stressful situations and, and uh, some of the decisions that, that they make and and how those decisions are, are conveyed. Because at the end of the day, a, a leader, while it's all about people, you know, a, a leader makes decisions. And those decisions bring in a lot of factors. So someone that can can bring in not only the, the data and the analytics of a decision and, and does it make sense on a on a on a calculator and a, on a, a ledger sheet in the bottom line, uh, financially, it doesn't make sense for the individuals thinking about, about long-term. Um, if you think about that, it's tough to get that out of a, a 30 minute interview. In fact, in, in some ways it's almost silly that we do interviews because I know how you're going to react to me. If, mm-hmm. if I am hiring you, you're going to be really nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to tell me all these things that, uh, Hey, I do this well, and here's my experience and I'd like to work for you and, and this and that. But, uh, I, I'm much more interested in how you react to, uh, to and interact with, with other people. Um, maybe when no one else is watching. Um, and that, that, that is, uh, is tougher to discern, uh, in that. Yeah. Well, it's when I think about what you just said, you know, we want empathic leaders. We want people who can relate to people and interact within the organization and take into to account what the data, the human data from, uh, emotional intelligence, as well as, uh, IQ and NQ, these, those are all important for the people that we're, we're grooming and we're inviting into leadership. No doubt that's what we expect from leaders at your level. You know, we have this high hope for people who are um, 
in your position of senior leadership, and you, again, embody these things. I'm curious, just to as we close out, how do you stay healthy? What are the things that are important to you as a person so that you can step into the role and model all those things that you just said that you would hope to see in the leaders that you're developing? In order for you to live those out, what are some of the habits and the practices that you hold on to uh, no matter what environment, whether it's Tampa or Germany or the next place that you go, what are some of the things that you say, I need these to be in place in order for me to show up and be the best leader that I can be for the people that I'm serving? Yeah. Before I get to that, I want to circle back to, to, to one other thing about what we the conversation earlier about, about the individuals and, and hiring people. And, you know, I, I think there's an aspect there of leadership that, is sometimes lost or can be lost or glossed over if we're not too careful about when we say, Hey, it's, it's about, you know, empathy and understanding the people. There's an accountability piece of that when leading an organization. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I strive to be, uh, uh, you know, to understand and walk a mile in another person's shoes, I can't always do that. And even when I can, there are times that I have to, hold them accountable for their actions. Mm. Um, and whether that's through military justice system, whether that is through decisions that I, that I make, if that isn't present, then that's equally as dangerous. And so, you know, from pride in an organization, um, you know, when I say people are investing in people, sometimes, you know, sometimes that means a attaboy and sometimes that means a kick in the pants. And sometimes that means, uh, you know, somewhere in between, but as we talk through that, I just want to make sure that that, that is that is certainly part of the of the philosophy. Because at the end of the day, if done correctly, that accountability makes us better. It's back to the debrief uh, kind of situation. I'm I'm glad before you move on to that next question. Thank you for adding that in. I think missing in our culture, missing in a lot of cultures that we're a part of is a a healthy and positive view of accountability, a culture of accountability. And to be able to say that openly and to to day one be invited into an organization where, yes, I want to listen to you. Yes, I respect you. Yes, welcome to the team. And here's who we are. And here's what we're proud of. And here's the only way to say, again, it's only true if it's true. The only way that stays true is if we hold ourselves accountable to it. And that has to be a part of the culture. Thank you for, for bringing that out. Yeah, there, there's a there's a saying, and it's it, it's not mine. I'm not not sure who said it, but the uh, you know that you, you deserve what you tolerate um, in, in your organization, and so at the end of the day, that's that's it. Um, wow. As far as as far as the personal habits and, and things like that, um, you know, I, I'm a creature of routine. I don't know if that that is from aviation. Some of the things that we've talked about, but uh, but I do think that uh, that keeping a a balanced both physical, spiritual, family, and and work balance in there is uh, uh, is important. Of course, the danger of, of the routine is you never try anything new. Um, so there's there's a balance balance there as as well. But to me, that's something that I I I find myself I think better equipped to handle stressors in one area if I'm fairly healthy in another area. Uh, I, I will use the, you know, the, the air force has, uh, you know, um, a, a program, which of course, you know, everyone, <laughs> no one likes a program, but it, <laughs> but it kind of has this, this concept of, of having, you know, four pillars and there's a, there's a physical pillar, there's a, a social pillar, 
a mental pillar and a spiritual pillar. And balancing those out versus having someone who's all about one pillar, you know, the, 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 the guy that's in the gym constantly and is a fitness nut and then blows out his knee, he's fairly miserable mm. um, because he's atrophied those other parts of, of his life. And so there, there's a balance there that, that we're not called to be, be superstars in, in any of those areas, uh, but investing time uh, in probably our weakest areas are, are kind of what I, what I think helps out with the other areas. Yeah. Well, the the balance, no shame in a program, by the way. The the biopsychosocial <laughs> spiritual layers that you sure. descri- des- just described, that integrated being, that's what I saw when I met you the first time and then when we sat down for a longer conversation and you walked through the door, I I was struck by again the the affect of your life. There was a joy and a lightness to your being. Obviously, you're you're fit and you've got the the fighter pilot good looks and fitness and all that going for you, but there there was a humility and a spiritual um, just peace about you that I could pick up on, and then obviously the competencies and what you're being asked to do. So, thank you for just modeling it. I think that's what's most helpful for us is to just get to listen uh, to you as a person. Just talk to us about life and leadership and i'm gonna i will never forget i think out of this conversation never ever forget the the surprising lesson from proverbs i don't know how it was able to slip past me all these years even at pastoring but just the power of committing your actions to the lord and the value of time and margin and all the gifts that you've given us we are just deeply grateful um i'm going to give you the chance for a last word uh, before we we close out as you think about leaders um, and and everybody who's who's walking back into their organizations or their families um, in the weeks to come in the days to come just kind of coach us um, from a, maybe a pastoral or a coach position as we go back to to serve the people that we're we're leading for and investing in what would you say to us as we go back in in our cultural moment right now to do the best we can to serve other people I, I would say that, you know, in, in a word, uh, I am at my best in a leadership position when I am just genuine. And, you know, this, this world with, with so much uh, interaction on, on technology and social media and, and image that it's refreshing to see a leader that is just as genuine and honest with with uh, his organization as he or she possibly can be to include displaying some vulnerability uh, to include taking the time to listen to the most junior portion in that organization uh, to taking the time to, to respond to, to those sorts of things. And, and um, I, I, that, that is a power that I think is, is woefully underused uh, both in, in the military and, and, you know, throughout our, our culture to include our families um, that a little dose of that uh, goes a long way. Yeah. Well, thank you, Derek France, for just a life of service. And we, I've said it before, we are all in your debt, literally, for a lifetime of service and your family. So please tell your family, thank you. They gave up again on a vacation to allow you to step away and to serve others. I just think it's, a, it's an absolute brilliant picture 
of the life of a family who serves. That here you are, and you could be at the beach with them, and you're on the phone with all of us, and they are a part of that. So, Derek, thank you for spending time. Thank you for great leadership in the world. We are praying for you and for you as you go into the next adventure, and we just really thank your family for us. We appreciate them giving up a little bit of your time as well. I will, Zach. I appreciate your time and, and enjoyed the conversation, both the previous one and this one. And the good news is with this rain, I think they all just piled in the house from the, from the beach there. So we're all set. It sounds like we're going to play some cards this afternoon. I love it. Go play cards. <laughs> I'm going to take us out of here with a outro. And so hang with me just for a second and we'll get back. Thanks. You bet. You bet. Thank you for listening. Make sure to go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to Lab the Podcast. You can rate and review us there. And then follow me at Zach J. Elliott or on my website, www.zachjelliot.com. I'll see you again for our next lab session. And until then, here's to more life and more beauty.